neighbor began to strike up a conversation. He said, yeah, my wife and I went to one of those seminars yesterday, you know, where they teach you ways to improve your memory and such. His neighbor commented, oh, really? What was the name of the speaker? The man kind of bewildered and looked at him and said, um, uh, what's the name of that flower that smells really good and has the thorns? And the neighbor says, you mean a rose? He goes, yeah, yeah. Hey, Rose, what was the name of that guy that spoke yesterday? <laughs> it's human nature to forget. It's human nature. Some of us are worse than others. Uh, this morning I was walking into my office and I could not for the life of me remember what I was walking in there for. And Lois said, just wait, it gets worse. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever done this where you've walked into a room and you're going, uh, well, I'll just go sit down. <laughs> it happens all the time. It's normal to forget. That's why God does so many things in the Bible for us to help remember. We have the rainbow, which is to help us not forget what? The flood, right? And that God will never do what to the earth again? Flood the earth again, right? We have the 12 stones stacked upon on the, the other side of the Jordan River. What was that to remember? Well, where they came from, where they're going, but also the 12 tribes crossed the Jordan River on dry land because God stopped it and, and split it. So they built an altar to the Lord of 12 stones, one for every tribe of Israel, to always remember of what God has done. And of course, we have even Jesus' parables that help us remember what God is doing or what he wants to do. But we forget a lot. But there's no greater memory for me in the Bible, and I think for all of us we could agree, there's nothing greater in remembrance than communion. To me, when I look at Scripture, communion is the ultimate remember thing for us that we can look at and know because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross, we can live for eternity. What he's done through his resurrection, we can live for eternity. And to me, that's something we need to continue to remember. Today, we continue in our series, What We Believe, talking about communion. Now, I'm going to tell you what communion is, what it means, and what we should be doing as we participate in communion. Because I think it's important that we understand, and it's my prayer that we would be come to a complete understanding of what we do at the Lord's Supper. I think a lot of times we come to the Lord's Supper not really realizing what it's about. The importance of coming to the Lord's Supper with a heart that is surrendered to Jesus. And the importance of coming to the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner. And I think we need to be reminded of that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you and I praise you for this opportunity to come to you and worship through your word. God, I ask that you be mighty in this place. God, that you have your way in this place. Holy Spirit, this is your church. Fill us that we may be obedient. We thank you and we love you, Jesus, so much for what you've done for us. And what we celebrate in communion is truly an amazing thing. 
We love you and we thank you, Jesus. It's your name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians. We're going to be chapter 11, verses 23 through 28 this morning. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And we had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. The church has celebrated communion, or the Lord's Supper, ever since Jesus instituted it in the upper room. That was the first blessing and giving of the Lord's Supper, of communion. Jesus took common meal items. They were used to seeing bread and wine. And it was wine. It wasn't grape juice. Or it wasn't really strong grape juice. It was wine. It was alcohol that they took and used for communion. It was common in that time. And they took, and Jesus took the loaf and the cup, and he shared with the disciples what this means when you do this. He took up the bread and said, this is my body. Now understand, this is the upper room. This is before he's arrested. So you can imagine the disciples sitting there saying, what is this man talking about? That this is his body? But he begins to explain to them that this is my body. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. And then he takes the cup, and likewise, he blesses the cup and says, this, is the cup, this cup is the, the blood that will be poured out for you. And again, as a disciple in the upper room at this time, you've got to be thinking, what is this man talking about? He says, as often as you drink of this, drink and remember me. We have the blessing of the Scriptures to be able to look back and know where Jesus is going with this, don't we? But they didn't. It took great faith for them to understand what was going on. And I think because of that great faith, they took it way more seriously than we do. Because they knew something was about to happen. And when they saw it happen, when they saw it happen, I think they finally understood his body in his blood. Because in Acts chapter 2, in verses 42 through 47, what do we have is the early church, and they met together daily, and they communed together. They knew how important it was. It wasn't just a ritual. It wasn't just something that they did every quarter or every year. They did it every time they met, because it was important to remember what Jesus had done. These common meal items. To me, communion is the most important part of our service every Sunday. Amen. It's not the sermon, it's not the music, it's communion. 
coming before the Lord. Guilty, all of us. Guilty. Coming before the Lord and giving a chance to repent and lay all of our burdens down at the feet of Jesus. And why is that important to remember? Because of what he did helped alleviate that burden of carrying it. We don't have to carry that stuff. The blood of Jesus covers us. However, it's the only as meaningful as you make it. I've been in the restoration movement my whole life. And we've celebrated communion every Sunday. And I've had people join the church and say, why do you do that every Sunday? Doesn't it become a ritual? Well, yeah, to some it does. But that's between you and God. You control that. I don't control that. The, the elders don't control that. Only you and the Lord are communing together at that moment. So where your heart is, where your mind is, whether it's a ritual or something for you, that's, that's between you and God. It becomes whatever you make it. If we approach communion with a wrong heart, with a wrong mindset, then it becomes celebrated in a careless manner. And Scripture tells us we have to be careful of that because if you look at verse 29, Paul says, For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So communion is a very serious matter. That we come to the Lord and we remember what he's done. This was the problem with the Corinthian church, though. In fact, they were coming in, and anybody could take it. Anybody. They, they, they would come in, and they would get handfuls of bread and cups and cups of juice because they weren't eating, or they were taking advantage of this meal. But this meal was not to just go and eat and be full. The meal was to remember the sacrifice of our Savior. So Paul sets them straight. And says this should be done in a worthy manner. We are a church that practices open communion. That means that if you're a baptized believer, you're welcome to take communion with us. I've been to churches with a friend of mine that they, they wouldn't let me take communion because I wasn't baptized in their church. But we believe in an open communion that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you can participate in communion with us. And I believe that's biblical. I also believe that you should take communion only if you're a baptized believer in Jesus. That means it's not just fun to do, but you participate in communion as a baptized believer in Jesus because what you're doing is remembering and setting a heart and mind straight, and you can't really do that if you don't know what you're doing. Does that make sense? So we come to the Lord as baptized believers to participate in communion together. Now, children, it's, it's fine to, to teach them what communion is about, but I still think you need to be a baptized believer to participate because it's something that we do together as the body of Christ together. So we need to learn how to approach communion in a correct manner. So let me suggest three key things that happen as we participate in communion. Number one is we look back. We look back. This is the part where we remember 
To celebrate communion in a proper way, it requires us to look back and remember why we're doing it. What it's about. And this is something that we do through a communion meditation. I believe all the communion meditations need to touch the blood of Jesus because that's what we're participating in. Okay? And I believe that when we come to him alone, one-on-one, before we take communion, or as we take it, that we are remembering individually what we're doing and why. What he's done for us. What makes our lives so meaningful. You see, it's the things of our past. It's the good times. It's the times of encouragement. It's the times of challenge. When we look back to the past, we realize through the challenge, through the encouragement, through the victories, all those things, we're stronger because of those. So when we look back on communion, we realize we are who we are as the church because of what Jesus has done and only because of what Jesus has done. If you think of anything else other than what Jesus has done as to why we're the church today, you're wrong. We are the church because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Because this is his church, not ours. It's his. They shape us, don't they? Jesus has shaped us. And when we look back, we can see how meaningful life is because of who he is. When we participate in communion, we must look back at what Christ has done. We remember his death, which seems odd, okay? It it does seem odd to, to people, but it's crucial in how we approach the communion. It's crucial in how we approach the Lord's Supper is to remember that there was a death involved. This is central to the gospel. It is central. The gospel is not good news if Jesus didn't die. I'll say that again. The gospel is not good news if Jesus didn't die. He had to die. Just listen to 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4. Paul says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture's that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. See, Paul is saying that this is primary in the gospel. And if you look at 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 5 or something like that, I think it's, that is the gospel message right there. That's the gospel. That's what we should be telling people. And central to that is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's not just that God loves you, And that because God loves you, you can just go to heaven. We have a resurrected Savior, one who paid the penalty for our sin, so that when we believe, we can have eternal life in him. Without that belief in Jesus, there is no heaven for you. So this death, burial, and resurrection of Christ is central to what we do. And celebrated in communion. It's remembered in communion. We look back on that. It was his death that brought us life. We remember why he died. I love what Isaiah says in Isaiah 53, 6. He says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
Who's him that has the iniquity of us all? This is the prophecy of Jesus. It is central to the Lord's Supper that when we come, it requires us to remember. He died for us. He died for us because we are sin-filled. And the amazing thing is, is he did it willingly. God in flesh could have done anything he wanted to do. He could have called a legion of angels to come and take him off the cross. But he endured for us. And I believe when the, as the disciples watched this taking place, they remembered what Jesus did in the upper room. And they remembered so much that they said, we need to make this central to what we do. So in the early church, they took communion as often as they met. Because this is what we need to do, is we need to remember, we look back. We look ahead. When looking ahead, we look ahead, not just saying, okay, Jesus, I know you're in control, but we need to look ahead with great anticipation. When you pray, pray with anticipation that God hears you and he will act on your prayer. It may not be what you want, but it'll be exactly what you need. We look ahead with great anticipation. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, part of our passage this morning, says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It is a proclamation that Jesus died for you. We proclaim to non-believers who witness communion that we are bowing before the King of kings and the Lord of lords because of what he's done for us. And we look ahead to when he will return. I don't know about you, I can't wait. And I hope I'm alive still when Jesus comes back. But all of us will witness his return one way or the other. As the dead rise... We will see every knee bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the hope of the church and the hope of all individuals who make up the church. If you want hope, you find it in Jesus and only Jesus. While here, we will not be all what we're made to be. That's just a reality. Initially, yeah, that's the way it was created, that, that we were going to be with God for eternity, walk with him through the garden. We know what happens. <laughs> While we're here on earth, we will not be exactly who we are made to be, but when Jesus comes again, we will be completely restored. Amen? No more back pain, no more leg pain, no more surgeries, no more cancers, no more illnesses, only joy in the Lord Jesus Christ. What a glorious day that will be. But this is part of what we look forward to when we take communion. His return. He's coming again. We look forward to our full and complete re restoration as we remember why we can even have the restoration. It gives us something to strive for, I think. 
It strengthens us in our resolve in this world. When we take communion and we look forward to what Jesus is going to do as he returns, it strengthens our resolve in this world. We have to live in this world, folks. So why not live in this world with joy, seeking Jesus and telling people about the good news of Jesus Christ? Communion helps us put a a mindset of that. One of my favorite authors of all time is C.S. Lewis. He wrote in his book, Mere Christianity, he said, If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this world. Church, we don't live, by and large, focused on the next world, focused on eternity. Let me tell you a truth. The day you come into relationship with Jesus Christ, eternity starts right then and there for you. You don't have to wait till you die. We live in eternity right now, focused on what God is going to do looking to the next world. Because when we look to the next world, when we look to the next life, we become so, uh, so joyous because of what Christ is going to do. It affects us in how we live here. So, so we're more apt to say, you need Jesus. Let me help you find him. You're more apt to go and serve in love in the name of Jesus Christ. You're more apt to give in the name of Jesus Christ when you are heaven-focused. Does that make sense? But when we have pity parties on ourselves and things aren't going the way we want them to go, we are not thinking of eternity and therefore we are miserable. And if anybody in this world should not be miserable, it should be Christians. If anybody should have the most joy in the entire world, it's you and I. But when we're not joyous, We're temporarily focused on us. And I think we need to repent of that. We need to focus on heaven and the joy set before us and run the race with endurance and perseverance, as Paul says. Throw off everything that hinders us and so easily entangles us and fix our eyes on the prize. Heaven-focused. So we look ahead as we take communion. Approach communion not just with a look back, but with anticipation of the future. Allow him to strengthen you for today as he strengthens you for tomorrow. And finally, we need to look inside. We look back, we look ahead, and we look inside. When approaching communion, we must do so with an examination of our own self our own hearts, our minds. Notice Paul doesn't say that you have to be worthy to take communion. Let me squish that right now. You're never worthy. None of us are worthy to be here this morning. None of us are worthy to participate in communion. None of us are worthy to pray to God. None of us are worthy to sing to God. None of us are worthy to give to God. Through what Jesus Christ has done for us, He makes us righteous, and that's the only way we can stand before the Lord. 
is because of the righteousness of Jesus. When Jesus looks at his church, he sees the blood of Christ. He sees what Jesus has done. So we don't have to be worthy, but we do have to take communion in a worthy manner. That means we've got to be careful not to abuse it, to take it with a heart that is not ready for the Lord, to take it unsurrendered to Jesus, to take it just because it's something that's passed along to you and so you can do it. We need to do it as we look inside in a worthy manner, understanding that it's because of his righteousness that we can. So what does it mean for us to examine our own hearts? It means that when we come to Lord's Supper, we come with a repentant heart. I don't care if you can't think of a sin you did this week. You did. None of us come to the table to say, well, man, I had a great week. We all need to repent. So I believe when we come to communion, we need to come with a repentant heart, laying it all before the Lord, saying, God, I need you. I need your forgiveness. And repentance is not just saying, I'm sorry. If you're a parent, you know your kids did this your, their whole, your whole parenthood as they were teens. Oh, I'm sorry. Really? Are you really sorry? Because you keep doing that. Repentance is saying, I'm done with this. I'm turning away from this, and I'm coming to you, Jesus. Not looking back and saying, well, I can't wait till I get to do that again. Repentance is different than saying, I'm sorry. We come ready to confess to him our sin. And you need to name that sin, not to say, Lord, forgive me for I have sinned. He knows that. You know that. And you know what you've done. So you need to come ready to repent and confess the sin that you've done. We come in humility before the king of heaven and earth. Not with pride saying, I got this, God. Now give me my communion. That is an unworthy manner of taking communion. To come in any other way is to be full of pride and guilt. The church in Corinth was really good at examining the sins of another. Oh, look what that guy's doing. At least I'm not killing people. At least I'm not sleeping around. We do this today. We look at other people's sin and say, at least I'm not like that guy. What about our own? What about the plank sticking out of our own eye? That's right. The liar is sinning just like the murderer. It all separates you from God. I'm not saying every sin is equal, but I think we all have sin that we need to deal with on our own in our own life, right, before we start picking out somebody else's? They were not really good about examining their own hearts. So I believe we must approach him with hearts prepared for surrender. We must approach him with hearts prepared for surrender. Even if you don't think you've done anything wrong, you have. I can promise you that. You've had a thought, you've said a word, whatever it might be. So approach prepared to surrender. 
And as we take the bread, which represents the body that was given for us. And you've, you've heard this said before in churches, Lord, bless the, bre- the, the loaf that represents your body that was broken for us, right? Now, you find that that word is broken in, in, in Paul's day, but um, that word broken, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, does not mean the body broken. It means that it was the bread that was broken. So when we say, bless the, the bread because it represents your body that was broken for us, the scriptures tell us that not one bone will be broken. Did you know that? So on the cross, as Jesus expired, they broke the legs of the thieves on the, on the other side of him, but they didn't do that to Jesus. Not one bone was broken on the Lord's body to fulfill that prophecy. So when we hear the words, bless the bread that represents your body that was broken for us, that word broken literally is referring to the bread being broken. Just as a tidbit of information. But that's what it represents. His body given for us. And as we drink of the cup, it represents his shed blood. And when we do this, we do this with a heart that is laid out before him. Not keeping our own stuff inside, saying, okay, I just got to get through this communion so we can get on with the service. No, no, no. We lay bare all that we are. Because Jesus is ready to fill you with love and forgiveness as you come into repentance. So we look back, we look ahead, and we look inside. That's what should be happening as you participate in the Lord's Supper every week. We know and agree that the single greatest act of love that the world has ever seen that has ever been displayed to mankind is what Jesus did on the cross. That is the single greatest act of love. You and I can't do it. Only Jesus could. Communion is a celebration of that love. We come to celebrate that love. And as we approach communion, we look back at what he has done. We look forward with anticipation for his return And we look inside at our hearts and prepare them properly as Jesus restores us. This is what communion is all about. So if you've been taking it in an unworthy manner, I pray now that you know what the Lord expects as we come around his table. I challenge you today to approach the Lord's Supper ready and surrendered to him with all your heart laid before the King of Kings. Let's pray. Father, I thank you and I praise you for what you've done for us. God, it is because of your sacrifice, the sacrifice of your Son, that we can believe and have life. I thank you, God, for what the communion represents that we can come before you with hearts bare and minds open in repentance and you will forgive. Thank you, Jesus, so much for the grace that was poured out for us as you gave of yourself on the cross. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.